hey, I'm not sure if you're the same way, but I've made the same resolution probably for the past three to four years. And if I'm being honest, probably even longer. I get motivated, I make a plan, I start off great, but within a few months, I'm back to my old ways. But not this time, not for 2019. Here at Team Johnson, we have developed a plan and I want you to join us. Introducing the Resolution Solution. Here at Team Johnson, we have put together a 21-day action plan that will be the cure to the common New Year's resolution. Guess what? It's free. We're all doing it here together at the office. And all you need is an email and an Instagram account. We start on January 7th. It is going to be so much fun doing it all together. All you have to do is go to 21dayplan.com, enter your email, and you're in. You'll receive an email with updates and details on which specific Instagram accounts to follow for 21 days of daily tips and actions from experts pertaining to each common New Year's resolution. We'll be covering fitness and health, finances, business, organization, and travel, just to name a few. So grab a friend and go to 21dayplan.com to sign up and get ready to make 2019 the best year yet. I know I'm planning on it. Hey there, thanks so much for joining me on this edition of The Shaleen Show. Today, we're talking about women's hormone health and specifically a discussion around menopause and perimenopause. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Today, this is a girls-only broadcast. So we're talking today about hormones, and it's something that, ironically, not a lot of people speak openly about. In fact, I have a group of girlfriends who were on a group chat, and I randomly threw out there like, hey, how many of you are having some of these symptoms? And I listed off mood swings, difficulty sleeping, hair thinning, insomnia, low energy, low libido, brain fog, occasional sadness, depression, those kinds of things, and a couple of others. And what I got back right away is that most of my girlfriends were experiencing some of those things. But here's the interesting point about that. If I was to ask a group of individuals who were experiencing some form of autoimmune disease, you're going to have some of those very same symptoms. Brain fog, lethargy, mood swings, unexplained weight gain, increases in body fat, loss of hair, difficulty sleeping. It's interesting how so many symptoms overlap, right? So if I were to ask a group of people who were, had already been diagnosed with leaky gut, if you're having brain fog, lethargy, mood swings, difficulty sleeping, low libido, thinning hair, those people would say yes too. And if I was to ask a group of people who had Hashimoto's, they would say yes. And if I was to ask a group of individuals who were diabetic, they would say yes. So it's so funny how so many symptoms overlap. So then how do you know if those are the primary symptoms for someone who is in perimenopause, how do you know if you're in perimenopause? And what's the difference between perimenopause and menopause? Okay, so perimenopause means irregular cycles. And irregular can mean sometimes you go 28 days and sometimes you go 20 days and sometimes you go 
29 days and sometimes you skip a month and it can also mean an irregularity in the amount of blood flow that you have. That can also constitute an irregular cycle. It can also mean that you're just not having a predictable cycle. And in addition to that, you're having a difficult time putting on muscle. You have mood swings. Again, all those same symptoms, thinning hair, insomnia, low energy, difficulty sleeping, like all these symptoms overlap. Now, here's the thing that's crazy, okay? If a high school girl starts overtraining in, say, track or gymnastics or dance or gets too low in her body fat, the same exact thing will happen. So oftentimes, I find that women who think, well, maybe this is perimenopause, might actually just have disrupted their hormone balance by overtraining, not eating enough, and trying to get their body fat so low that they cease menstruation. And if you're 40 and you're training too hard and you're not eating enough and your body fat is too low, you're going to think, oh, maybe I'm perimenopausal because I'm having some of these symptoms. But if the same is true for a 16-year-old as it is for a 40-year-old, the bottom line is it's important to know that there's a lot that we can do for hormones. First, let me define perimenopause. Perimenopause is defined as a transition when you're starting to lose your menstrual cycle leading up to menopause. What is menopause? Menopause is a diagnosis you get after the fact. You can only say that you are menopausal after you've gone one full year without your cycle. Then you are considered in menopause, even if you happen to have some breakthrough bleeding after that. But if you've gone a full year without your cycle, then you're in menopause. But there's a transition period that leads up to that, which a lot of people find to be very uncomfortable because of the symptoms. Those symptoms include, you ready? Here we go. So here are the symptoms of perimenopause, which can set in anywhere from a year to maybe three to five years prior to menopause. But because we have so messed up our gut health, we're finding that people are suffering from the signs or symptoms of perimenopause for really long extended periods of time that they needlessly are suffering from these symptoms. The most common symptoms of which are, here we go, recapping, an irregular cycle. And that means an irregularity in days, an irregularity in the amount of flow. It also includes night sweats, brain fog, irritability, mood swings, insomnia, low energy, a change in where your body stores body fat. That's a big one. So if you're like, gosh, I've always had great abs, and all of a sudden you're like, excuse me, what is all this, right? Like, that's a really good sign that there's a shift happening in your hormones. Yeah, that's a really big sign. Oh, here's another really common one. A change in your bladder's sensitivity that isn't related to the amount of water that you're drinking. Like, obviously, you're going to be like urinating all day long if you're having four of these a day. Product placement, y'all. One through one bottle. If you're drinking 75 ounces of water per day, of course, you're going to have regular or increased urination. But here's another thing. Vaginal dryness, common symptom of going through perimenopause or disruption of reproductive hormones. In addition to that, you can experience bladder sensitivity where you can cough or sneeze and you're like, oh my gosh, I've just peed my pants. Now, some women have this after giving birth because the bladder can actually pull away from the bone and the pelvic floor and that can cause that sensitivity. 
especially if it's not all the time, but certain times of the month, that's probably one of those signs that you're perimenopausal. Now, if you have a couple of these symptoms, eh, like I said, it could be that you've just got leaky gut. The most telling of all these symptoms is the irregularity of your cycle. The night sweats, the mood swings, the irritability, the thinning hair, the where your body holds on to body fat and is storing body fat, the anxiety, the depression, the sadness that so many people talk about that they experience when they're premenopausal. So much of that can be controlled with nutrition. Now, here's what's really interesting is that our adrenals have so much to do with this. It's really important that you understand that your hormones are impacted, especially your adrenals. Your adrenals are impacted by stress. That stress can cause a disruption of your hormones because it's mental stress, physical stress, stress that just exhausts you. Now, so many people don't realize that over-exercising is going to stress the adrenals. And when the adrenals are stressed, they regulate all of your other hormones. Now, your adrenal gland is a little tiny walnut-sized gland that sits on top of your kidneys, and it's responsible for a lot of hormone regulation. And it is incredibly important that we're not over-stressing ourselves and producing high levels of cortisol and disrupting that hormone balance. An imbalance is caused when we're exercising to the max, and on top of that, We've got the stresses of family and work and career and all these other things. And then you say to yourself and other people, they're like, are you maybe under a lot of stress? And you're like, no, I mean, I've got a lot going on, but I handle it pretty well. You handle it pretty well because you've just been taught like, okay, just keep going. But your body is going to have a different response. Now, here's a really interesting thing for you to know. With all of the time that I've spent interviewing experts, integrative medical doctors about adrenal fatigue, about regulating women's hormone health, do you know what they all say is the number one way to regulate your hormones? Reduce stress, which is great, but it's like, okay, fine. How do I do that? Should I leave my family and go live in the woods because my family is stressful? Like, what can you do specifically? Like, what action can you take? to diminish adrenal fatigue? Well, number one is meditation or some form of meditative activity. By some form of meditative activity, I mean something that allows you to not be present in your problems, to kind of escape, to relax, to free your mind. For some of you, that's art. Yes, art is meditation. Prayer is meditation. Maybe going on a power walk without looking at your phone and enjoying nature, that can be meditative. Any type of activity where it's like a hobby and you're just not thinking about your that's meditative. You don't literally have to be sitting on a rock with your palms up and going, am I quieting my mind? Is my mind empty? Like, you don't have to do that. Now, is that ideal? Sure. Some people are really good at meditating, but for some people, (laughs) it's going to make them more stressed out. So do something meditative. And you know, you know what I'm talking about because everybody has it. So now let's talk about women's body fat. So here's the deal, especially for young girls. So much of this hormone disruption starts at an early age, especially for young women who are in any type of competitive activity, gymnastics, dance, cheerleading, sprinting, long distance running, middle distance running, just about every track sport, tennis, you name it. For most sports, 
including diving and swimming, you're going to perform better cycling if you weigh less. So you can see how the messaging is there. Even if coaches aren't saying, hey, you need to lose weight, if you're looking around and the girl who is, you know, has the lowest time or is getting the best scores on the beam or who can hurl herself through the air the fastest, it's not uncommon for her to often be the smallest, the lightest. And so the messaging starts there. I mean, there was a time when Sierra was running track, and I, I will tell you this, she came to me and it was like, I'm not having my period. And I think I asked her and she was like, yeah, no, I'm not getting my period. I'm like, how long has this been going on? And she's like, well, none of us do. I'm like, what do you mean none of us do? She was like, no, none of the girls, none of us on the cross country team, none of us on the track team are getting our menstrual cycles. I'm like, wow. And that becomes the norm. And no one's asking because frankly, we're worried about being number one, getting that scholarship, doing your best. And I'm sure some of you probably experience this too. So the question is, what is a healthy body fat? And the answer to that lies in how do you define health? Right? So for some people, some women want their body fat so low that they can see their abs and post them up daily on Instagram. Now, does that give you healthy hormone level? For the majority of women, no. For most women, genetically speaking, there are always exceptions. There are some people who they can be at like 20% body fat and you can still see their abs. But for most women, you've got to be below 12, 13%, 14, maybe 14% you're going to see your abs. And that's such a low body fat that most women are then going to have a disruption of their hormones. They're going to have less progesterone, more testosterone, the body just starts to produce more testosterone and less estrogen, which often leads to a lot of difficulties, things that our hormones are responsible for, right? Like hair, like our feminine qualities, like menstruation, reproduction, bone density. So the question isn't like, what's a healthy body fat? The question is, how do you define health, right? So some people define health as being able to see their abs. Some people define health as, I actually want to live a long time and I want to be a healthy weight and I don't need my body fat to be so low that it disrupts my hormones and gives me an, you know, a skewed testosterone, estrogen, progesterone level. So it really depends. That's why I don't usually like to answer that question because it's up to us, right? It's up to you. You can decide. You can choose. For me personally, in order to have my abs be like ripped, I have to get around 11, 12% body fat. This is one of those genetic things. And then even at like 11% body fat, I still have to have like the right lighting and the right pose and like flex and like do some editing. Because like ripped six pack abs, just it ain't in my DNA the way it is other people's. So in order for me to actually like have chiseled abs, I have to get my body fat so low that it really does a number on my health. And I'm just not willing to do that because I don't define health that way anymore. So it is really important for you to not use Instagram, frankly, as your measure of health. Okay, so what can you do if you're trying to improve your hormones? Now, here's the interesting thing. So when I first started on this journey, when I was 45 years old and I had my brain scan, the reason why I went and had my brain scan is because I had gone to my general practitioner and I had said, listen, I can't sleep. I'm having homicidal thoughts towards my family and friends. Like I want to kill people for just interrupting me. Like I can't 
think straight. And if somebody so much as like breathes too loud and it disrupts my thinking, I want to kill them. And then it takes me like 30 minutes to figure out where I was. I couldn't focus. My brain felt foggy. It was changing my personality. I was getting irritable and angry. I wasn't sad or depressed, although that's a very common trait for people who have a disruption in hormones. But I was getting angry and short-tempered. And I found myself like really struggling to just concentrate on anything. And when I went to the doctor, my general practitioner said, well, welcome to the Middle Ages. I'm like, that's it? Really? And he's like, yeah, this is the first signs of perimenopause. And, you know, this is very common. You can probably experience this for a couple of years. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. It's just, you know how you know, like your doctor might have the degree, but you're like, I just know something's not right about this. I know this isn't it. So that's, I'm like, I think it has to do with my brain. And that's when I went to a neurologist and I had my brain scanned. And then when I had my brain scanned and had my nutritional panel done and a hormone panel, that's when I discovered my hormones were out of whack. My brain looked like someone who was almost 25 years older than I was. And not only that, I had a nutrition panel that looked like I was eating candy bars. Like, not that my sugar levels were that high, but more so I was deficient in almost every important nutrient. So then it's like, okay, so now if I want to fix my brain, how do I do this? And if my hormones are out of balance, like, how do I fix my hormones? Should I start with my hormones? Should I start with my brain? Should I start with my nutrition? And so I started meeting with all these different integrative doctors. And each one has a specialty in an area that they focus on, and they would have things that they wanted me to do. And that got more and more confusing because I'm like, all these things, all these supplements, oh, where do I start? Where do I start? And then what I realized that the common overlapping theme amongst all these doctors was gut health. Every one of them said gut health was something I had to improve in order to fix these things. So if I start with gut health, won't I improve all of these things? And the answer is yes. So that's why I started with gut health. And gut health is one of the first and most effective ways that you can improve your hormones and give yourself relief from whatever disruption you're experiencing, right? I mean, because it is really important. Even you know, serotonin is made in the gut. 80% of your serotonin, which regulates sleep, is made in your gut. So how can we do that? Number one, cut back on inflammatory foods. What are inflammatory foods? Fake stuff stuff that you're sensitive to, stuff that your body doesn't recognize. You know, and I did this the gradual way. I did not do it cold turkey. Like, for example, the Whole30 where you just you remove everything all at once. I can't do that. I am not that girl. I like to live life. I just slowly cut back and cut back. And the better I felt, the more I was motivated to take more things out of my diet that were causing me inflammation. The less I wanted to eat those foods, the more I was inspired to learn more about what is inflammatory and what isn't inflammatory. And then what I started really getting serious about it was figuring out, okay, which healthy whole foods that everyone says you should eat are actually inflammatory for me. And I had to do some testing. I call that the study of one. And I discovered like one of those for me was who knew, but it was quinoa. And I was having quinoa like at least every other day, destroying my gut. Now, is it healthy for you? It might be, but for me, it wasn't. So it was learning more about that. The first thing is absolutely removing inflammatory foods. Number two, there's a whole bunch of things, but I'm just going to give you three today, the three most important ones. Number two, reducing stress. And the best ways to reduce stress emotionally and from like a work standpoint, like that kind of stress, that stress that like weighs on your brain, the best way to do that is to engage every day in something that has the same impact as meditation. 
And that means something pure joy that you're doing for you where your brain just goes elsewhere. You don't even remember what it was you're supposed to be stressed out about. You're not thinking about emails. You're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about all the things. So what is that for you? Is it strength training? Is it maybe spending time every morning in prayer? Is it exercising? Is it painting? Is it singing? Is it playing piano? Is it something? Anything other than your phone. Anything other than spending time in social media. Because social media is about the worst thing you can do for your hormones for a lot of reasons. A whole lot of reasons. So that's number one. Number two. The number three way that you can do this is by paying attention to your macronutrients. Because nothing is going to disrupt your hormones more so than consuming a diet that's inappropriate in one of the levels of macronutrients. We weren't designed to eat the massive amount of carbohydrates that we do. Now, carbs aren't bad. They're great. But we were never designed to have as many and as many options and to overconsume and to overconsume sugar and to overconsume alcohol and to consume all these things. If you just bring it back to a regulated, healthy level, that alone is going to dramatically have an impact on your hormones. Okay, and here's my fourth bonus tip, and that is to evaluate your exercise routine. If your exercise routine doesn't include restorative exercise, if it doesn't include a day of rest, if every single day is more pounding and longer, more intense workouts, you're going to hit a wall. And you'll know because you'll stop seeing results. And you'll think, okay, I guess I need to train harder and longer. And the truth is, you probably need to take a break. So for me, at the time when I got this diagnosis, I was exercising at a minimum between three to four hours a day. And when the doctor told me I needed to knock that off because my body wasn't meant to do that, I remember thinking, (laughs) you don't know what I do for a living. I don't have a choice. If I exercise less, I'm going to gain weight. I can't exercise less. If I do exercise less, then I'm going to have to eat less. And it was very scary for me. And I didn't believe that. So I kept looking into research and looking into research. I wanted to hear from the experts. I wanted to hear from clinical scientists who were just testing this stuff, didn't have anything to sell, and really see, like, is this true? Could this be true? Could I be the exception? Should I really stop exercising this much and with this much intensity? What would happen if I did? So I decided to start doing that and tailoring back my workouts. And the first thing I noticed right away was that my body felt better. Like I was waking up every day feeling broken, like my feet hurt, my ankles hurt, my knee, everything always hurt. I remember someone saying like, hey, should I be sore? Two days later, I'm like, I'm sore every single freaking day, every part of my body. So the first thing I did is I slowly, again, I did not do any of this overnight. I slowly started cutting back. I didn't do it overnight because I was afraid. I was afraid that if I stepped on the scale, I would see a massive weight gain. And then I stopped counting calories. And I stopped worrying about how much I was eating. And I just started looking at the micro nutrients, like what's in this that's a whole wholesome ingredient. And then I started to try to get my carbohydrates back into like, where should I be? Now, I'm not an advocate of the keto lifestyle or the paleo lifestyle or the vegan lifestyle or any particular lifestyle. I'm an advocate, which is what the 131 method is all about, is learning how to phase your diet, which means changing it about every four weeks, figuring out what's ideal for you. Because what works for you and what works for me is totally different based on our epigenetics, 
based on our dieting history, based on our age, our height, our weight, our exercise routine, and our goals. So it doesn't make sense for us to like stick a flag in the ground and say, yes, I am hashtag keto for life, or I am hashtag paleo for life, or I'm doing, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't make sense for us all to like be dogmatic about a way of eating, be open-minded to learn new science. I know we all want one simple prescription. Can you tell me how many carbs per day to have? Could you let me know exactly what percentage I need to be? I would just suggest you be very careful, you know, because I think a lot of experts will give you that information. And I know it's very tempting because it's asked of me every single day. It's very, very tempting to give you a prescription because that's what people want. But I just think it's disingenuous because we're all so different. So unless I'm working with you personally, I couldn't give you an exact prescription. So be very careful that you're not forcing someone to give you that exact prescription. And most importantly, I want you to trust yourself and know that you're smart enough to learn enough about your body and how the body works and how the Krebs cycle works and how we can switch back and forth between fuel sources and how our body can use multiple forms of fuel, not just glycogen and glucose, but can also use ketone bodies and what that process looks like, but that we were never meant to indefinitely stay in a state of ketosis or indefinitely stay in a state of burning glucose. We just weren't. That's not how we were designed. You know, 500 years ago, we didn't have access to crunchy crackers and Doritos and chase that down with a Frappuccino from Starbucks. Like we didn't have access to those things. So our bodies were built to perform at an optimal level based on resource availability. And now we've got all these other crazy things. And the truth of the matter is, we are all so different. Trust that you're smart enough to figure this out, to learn enough about your body so that you don't have to wait for someone to tell you, this is on the good list and that's on the bad list. You can actually make a decision and go, well, based on what I know about me, my metabolism, my goals, my history, my epigenetics, that's a bad choice for me. And that's probably a better choice. Also know that when you do make a choice that's not as good for you, it ain't no big deal. It's called living. It's called life. Get over it, right? But once you have the knowledge and the information, then you're going to be inspired and motivated to make the right decisions as opposed to asking for a list of approved foods and disapproved foods. Like that just makes no sense. That's called a diet. And we know that 95% of people who lose weight on a diet gain it all back and then some. So why bother? Why put yourself through that? Learn how to live. Learn how to make the healthiest choices for you instead of getting all caught up in whatever the latest food trend is. All right? And I need to say this because it's really, really important. Food trends are going to come and go and people are going to jump on them and that's going to just continue to happen. Be smart enough not to get caught up in those things and to evaluate and to have an open mind. I promise you that some of the knowledge and information that I'm sharing with you today, I'll have to improve upon it six months from now or a year from now, and I'm going to have an open mind. And that's why you'll never hear me say only this or never do that. Because the truth is, we learn more about the body every single day. We've learned more about how our gut health impacts our brain health and our longevity and our hormones, we've learned more in the last five years than we've known in the last 125 years. Isn't that crazy? And they say on average, it takes up to 17 years before research that's done at leading universities hits mainstream medical and healthcare. So just because your doctor says something might be based on the medical textbook 
that he learned or she learned it from, which was written in 1956. We learn so much every day, and I want you to get excited about this stuff, and I, I want you to sit in the driver's seat, and I want you to rely less on experts telling you what's good and what's bad, and for you to really understand how smart you are and that you can figure these things out. You know, that's why I created the 131 method. It's not a diet. It is literally an education process that teaches you how to be kind to yourself, how to learn this stuff. And as you go, it's not about perfection. You know, it's learning about ingredients and it's learning how those ingredients impact you and how you have so much control over your health with your nutrition. Of the top 10 reasons or causes of death here in the United States, nine of them are preventable based on lifestyle and nutrition. That's crazy. That is crazy. Billions and billions of dollars every year spent on healthcare related to things that we can avoid based on lifestyle and nutrition. Pretty powerful stuff. Thanks so much for joining me on this edition of The Shaleen Show. I really appreciate you. And by the way, I recorded this live on my Instagram, which was cool because I was able to stop and take people's questions and answer those questions and just have a great time interacting. So if you don't already follow me, please do so. I am Shaleen Johnson on Instagram. Send me a DM and let me know that you listen to this podcast. I love it when you guys send me screenshots and specifically tell me like what it was that either resonated with you or, you know, that helped you or something that you related to from the podcast. That, I just love that. That's like my tip jar. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Thanks for sharing the show. I really appreciate that too. You know, you can do that by just hitting the little share button on your podcast and you can literally text this episode to a friend. Even if they don't have the podcast app, they can open it up in any app. You can listen to it on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, you name it. I love you guys so much. You mean the world to me. You are thebomb.com. I'll talk to you soon. This edition of The Shalene Show was brought to you by 131 Movement. Stop dieting. Save your brain. Save your gut. Live longer. Feel better. Stop going on a diet or following somebody else's rules and figure out what it means to have your own diet. Figure out a method that actually serves you, that helps you to be a better version of yourself. Let go of all of this craziness and confusion that surrounds diet and understand the science, the science of one, the study of one. Join the 131 movement today. We're taking back the word diet and getting what we are rightfully entitled to, which is our health. You deserve not just to look amazing, but to feel amazing. I'd love for you to learn more about my personal journey and why this is a true passion for me. I invite you to learn more by going to 131movement.com.